Our reading is from Hebrews 11, 1 through 16 from the New International Version. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about, these thing, about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because, of, because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. We are wrapping up a series on what to say to an atheist. Uh, just a couple things as we get into the sermon. One, remember that this is not, we're dealing with some subject matter called atheism, and then I'm going to help us see some things from Scripture and from God's point of view that may help us in answering atheism. I also would say that first week we talked about uh, looking at the natural world, how the natural world is a signpost to God, that God exists, the visible world is a signpost to us to God. Last week we talked about our own sense of moral goodness and this idea that we, ha we are moral persons and we desire moral goodness is a sign from God because we're created in the image of God. So those are two things that are signposts to God. But today I want to talk about something that gets in the way of God. So first two weeks, signposts, pointers to God. Today we're going to take a look at something that may be getting in the way 
of our belief in God, that God exists as Hebrew tells us. We heard that in the scripture today, you know, that you have to believe that God exists. That's part of faith. And this is a faith issue. So we're going to take a look at that today. Now, just recently, Pew, uh, the Pew Research Center updated its it's uh, research on uh, belief in God in America. They asked Americans, uh, this was as recent as December of 2017, so this is pretty fresh material. It says, do you believe in God or not, was asked of Americans. And basically, 80% said yes, but they broke that 80% into two categories. The ones that believe in God as directed in the Bible, so they believe in the God of the Bible, 56%. Another 23% said, or 20, is that right, 23%? 20, yeah, 23%. That doesn't add 80, does it? All right, anyway, so I'm doing the math. All right, so we'll have to talk to Pew Research Center for this, uh, about their mathematics skills. All right, so about 80%, we'll, we'll just round it off. All right, so believe in some other higher power or spiritual force. So they, they don't believe necessarily in the God of the Bible, but they believe that there is some form of God that exists in their life. Notice that the 19% is those who believe that God would say, no, we do not believe in God. And that, but they, again, break that down to those who believe in some higher power or spiritual force and then those who do not believe in some higher power or spiritual force. And so that percentage, who I would say are atheists or agnostic, is about 10% according to Pew Research. Everybody else, or about 89%, still believe in some form of a higher power, if that makes any sense. And this has been pretty true of Americans for a long time. But when you start to look a little deeper at the statistics, and you know, uh, statistics can be twisted, right? You all know that. I won't tell you my joke. I'll tell you after the service because, uh, anyway, look up Mark Twain quote on statistics. Anyway, what I would say is that when you start to look a little deeper at this, the percentage of atheists and agnostics goes up when it comes to college education, to 16%. It goes from 10% to 16% when the person is college educated. So there's something about education, and I, I tread lightly here, <laughs> there's something about education that may be turning us away from God. So I thought about that. What is that? What is it about being educated? And, and really that's kind of the cultural idea is that if you believe in God that you must be not very smart. Right? I think that's a cultural assumption. I think that's actually a misconception that how can I be a person of intellect and a person of, uh, uh, of uh, intellect and a person of intellectual integrity and still have faith? Can, is that possible? And I think part of what's happening in education, higher education in America is that, and I've seen this too, I even noticed when I write, wrote my doctoral dissertation, think about this, at a seminary. I went to a seminary to get my doctoral, do a doctorate, and I did a doctoral dissertation, and I had to use something even in my divinity school called scientific method. I had to use scientific method to defend my dissertation. Faith was not going to defend my dissertation. I could not go into my dissertation committee and go, I am going to just have faith that you all will accept my results. <laughs> Even in a doctoral level divinity school, right? See what I'm saying? And so when we go into education, we are taught a method of trying to make sense of the world called scientific method. That's a good thing. I'm not, I'm not arguing against that. I actually appreciate that. I, I'm a person of logic and rational thought, so that's a good thing. But I'm going to suggest to you it may not be all. That maybe we've put too much stock in that. And we'll talk about that this morning. 
The other thing I think is happening is, you know, I took a philosophy course at the University of Maryland, and I learned some things in that philosophy course. I thought, this guy is off the rocker. You know, and, and I thought about the philosophy that I was taught in my philosophy course, and I could see that if anybody went into that philosophy course without any faith at all, without any understanding of God at all, they would probably run from faith because of what was taught in that philosophy course. So I think about that, and I think about how higher education, depending on where you go to school, anywhere, that one, you're being taught, right, scientific method, prove it, do your research, Rational thought, logic, and you have to prove your results, right? So this idea, and I'm wondering if that idea that we're creating a worldview, right? Remember from week one, we talked about different worldviews. Are we creating a worldview in our education system that does not leave room for faith or God? That's a possibility. Now, I think what's actually happening is not that that is bad or wrong, but something I call the sophomore effect. The sophomore effect. You know what the sophomore effect is? How many, any sophomores here today? Sophomores? Nobody wants to admit it. <laughs> I know there are some. They're just, not, they're just not chiming in. The sophomore effect is the word sophomore is two Greek words. Have I mentioned this before? Sophos, which means wisdom. Right? If you're a sophomore, you have wisdom. You're not a freshman anymore, you're a sophomore. And so you have wisdom, you're a sophos, moros. Moros is the Greek word for fool. So you're a wise fool. I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or not as a sophomore. So sophomores, I'm sorry if I've insulted you this morning, but it really means to be a wise fool. And I think some education, you know, this goes back to the whole thing. Some education is a good thing, but some edu- only a little bit of education could be a bad thing, right? Not knowing enough. It can only take you so far. We may end up graduating as sophomores <laughs> when it comes to faith, sophos moros. We may be wise. We may think we have it all figured out when we graduate as undergraduates, but maybe we're still missing some things. Now, I've met people in the scientific community, I don't want to pick on the scientific community, but I noticed that there are, what my experience, my own personal experience, not, this is not, you can't, this does not hold up to scientific method or scrutiny, but I noticed that highly educated people in the field of science tend to lean into atheism and agnosticism. And so one of the things I have encountered, there are two different types of atheists I have encountered. And one is the atheist that comes to me and, and is very open to having the God discussion with me, but they're saying to me, Pastor, it doesn't feel like I don't have intellectual, it doesn't feel intellectually like I have an intellectual integrity if I believe in God, right? And I get that, and I, I can appreciate this idea that I'm trying to be honest, intellectually honest, and have integrity in my own intellectual, rational thought, and if you can't prove God to me, I can't include God in my worldview. So I I appreciate that intellectual integrity that they bring with them. And there are some atheists that come to me with what I would call intellectual integrity. Now, there's another type of person that comes to me, and I can remember a conversation I had uh, with an MIT grad who was working at NASA Goddard Center in just outside of Washington, D.C., and we were having a discussion, and he was basically, his wife came to our church, but he would come and, you know, like, just like, oh, it's really nice that she goes to church, but I am too good for church. I'm too good for God. So as, and he actually, he, he was one of these, he, he saw himself 
as intellectually superior to people of faith. Like he actually said, you know, if you, if you believe these things, you're not as smart as I am <laughs> because I went to MIT, right? Or pick another school. We, you know, there's this intellectual, what I would call intellectual arrogance that comes along sometimes where we think we've got it all figured out and anybody who's not as smart as us, as intellectual as us, as genius as us, is somehow lesser of a person. That's arrogance. And it's very hard to, I, I'm, I welcome conversations with people who have an intellectual integrity. I'm not so crazy about conversations with people who are intellectually arrogant because I, I'm never gonna get through to them. And, but I think God can. I can't, Matt can't, but I believe God can. I'll tell you a little bit about that later. But here's this thing, this idea, and I think it's actually coming into our culture, not just as for atheists, but we somehow think that if you have faith, that if you're a person uh, uh, who believes in God, that if you're not able to prove God, that somehow you're intellectually inferior, right? Have you sensed that recently? Like your faith is kind of like, oh, well, you believe that, nice for you. You know, it's kind of like, you know, pat on the back, you know. It's kind of like, well, that's good for you, but you're, you're really not that smart of a person, right? And I, and I encountered this. I would suggest to wherever people are in that and wherever atheists are, what I would say to an atheist who is, is saying that my, lim, I, 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 my intellectual integrity or my intellect is not allowing me to be a person of faith, here's what I would say. I would say what Dante said, reason has short wings, Reason has short wings. Reason and rational thought and scientific method will only take you so far. It will only help you to go so high, so to speak, right? Because your reason is actually going to limit you. Human reason and intellect is actually limited. And whenever we believe, begin to believe that our reason and thought and intellect can help is, is somehow supersedes everything else, we're actually in danger we're actually in danger because we're limited in our thought and our rational thought. Now, here's what else is going on. I've been reading a book called The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist, who's a philosopher, psychologist. He talks about the divided brain and the making of the Western world, right? So you all know that you have two sides of your brain, right? You all with me? Stay with me right here. I'm going to warn you right now. You guys stay with me on this part, right? You guys still with me over here? All right, stay with me on this, right? You guys with me over here? All right. I know the people in the front row are. I'm looking at the balcony folks. You still with me? All right, good. Yeah. So you and I have a left brain and a right brain. And they have different functions in our thinking, right? And so our left brain is that place where we have logic, daily activities, language, grammar, memory, analytical skills, science, strategy, facts, right? This is the left world of the left brain. Right? This is where we are. I am a left-brain person. I'm just going to admit to you right now, I am in the left brain most, most days, right? Now, the right brain, notice something about the right brain. The right brain is where we get our creativity, feelings, empathy, concentration, photographic memory, intuition, arts, and rhythm. Music comes from the right side of our brain. Guess what else comes from the right side of our brain? Religion, faith, spirituality, Right? So I want you to think about that. So two different sides of our brain. 
The way Ian McGilchrist puts it, he says this in terms of linguistics. He says, the right hemisphere that in linguistic terms, he's talking about language, paints the picture. It is still the left hemisphere that holds the paint box. I think it's a great way of looking at it. You know, if you can imagine, the right brain is the one, the side of your brain that actually is envisioning the whole picture. The left side of your brain is what holds the paint. All right, this is red, this is green, this is blue, and it has the ones and different brushes and different brush sizes and all that stuff. See what I'm saying? So actually, you need both sides of your brain to paint a picture as an artist, right? So it's not one or the other, but I want you to notice the different ways that the different sides of our brain are used, right? And actually, we were created to use them together, to put them together. Now... According to neuroscience, there's a couple problems with this that we can run into. So notice that much of our rational thought, science, those logic, and those things are left where the, the right values, the music, the art, the spirituality. Here's the thing about the left brain, though. It tends to be chauvinistic. It tends to think it doesn't need the right brain. It tends to think, I can understand the world all by myself, and I don't need any information from the right side of my brain to understand the world. And so it becomes very circular in its thinking, and it can actually get stuck in its own left brain world. Whereas the right side of the brain actually understands that it needs the left side of the brain to help understand the world. Does that make sense? Do you see the impact that has on culture? That, that if we become more left-brained as a culture, where, what happens to music? What happens to art? What happens to religion? As we gravitate towards science and technology, what happens to these other parts of our lives? Have you noticed that in society? Have you noticed that in our pursuit of science and technology, what has been pushed uh, to the margins in education? What? Music, the arts, right? Religion, <laughs> faith. Right? That's what's happening, and that's what he's arguing in Western thought. Here's the thing about this left brain. If we, we may be becoming le more left-brained in our worldviews because of this. So he says this. this is, I, don't know, I find this profound. You all can either go to sleep or whatever you want to do at this moment, but this is the profound thing I've, I've discovered from Ian McGilchrist. He said, the right hemisphere, I want you to notice the word that's capitalized here, the right hemisphere pays attention to the capital O, other. Whatever it is that exists apart from ourselves, with which I see itself in profound relation, it is deeply attracted to and given life by the relationship, the betweenness that exists with this other. The right brain gets God, understands God, is attracted to God. Right? That's what the right brain sees. But notice this about the left brain. By contrast, the left hemisphere pays attention to the virtual world that it, ha that it has created, which is self-consistent, but self-contained, ultimately disconnected from the other, making it powerful, but ultimately only able to operate on and to know itself. I don't know about you, but I see that's exactly where American culture is today. That's exactly where people are today. 
We have become so left-brained and so individualistic that we've immersed ourselves in our own virtual worlds, and it is our left brains taking over. (laughs) And we're neglecting the right brain. (laughs) We're neglecting the parts of us. God created us with a whole brain, left and right, both of them working together, both of them in harmony together. Yet I think as a culture and as a society, modern society, we have become more left brain. See, and we become overly dependent on this brain, this left brain, right? Now, Phil Eaton in his book, Sing Us a Song of Joy, says this. Clearly, there are profound consequences when everything spiritual is airbrushed out of people's lives. That's the problem. That when we begin to airbrush God, when we begin to push God to the margins of our lives, our individual lives, and our society, and in our culture, when we do that and we leave only room for the left brain, we live in these virtual worlds. Anybody see the, the movie Wally, the cartoon Wally, you know? You remember the scene in there where everybody's sitting in their comfortable chairs, everybody's overweight, looking at their screens, nobody's interacting with any other person, right? I think that was prophetic. <laughs> prophetic. Wally was prophetic. You heard it here in First Church. <laughs> See, we're, we're, we're actually marginalizing God, and it's because of our left brain. So what I'm suggesting is that reason, I believe that Dante was right, reason has short wings. It will only help us see part of the thing. It will not help us see the whole. It will not help us see the big picture. It will not help us see the world with God in it. That's why, and you guys are here because, hopefully because you're right brain people. Your guys are in your right mind, right? <laughs> Keep that in mind, just, be, just a thing, right? But I think the danger is because we're, we are actually don't become whole people. We, we actually cannot experience ourselves as whole people that God wants us to be if we're just going to rely on scientific method, rational thought, reason, logic, those things in the left brain. If we rely solely on those things, we will miss God. And I think that's what I would say to an atheist. You're missing God because you're dependent too much on the left brain. You're too dependent upon proof and scientific method, Right? And you're missing being a whole person because you're missing the stuff of the right hemisphere in your neuroscience. So here's my question for an atheist. Is it intellectual integrity to only be using half your brain? Right? Is it intellectual integrity to only use half a brain? To not include the other, the worldview of God that your right brain is attracted to, longs for, once in their life, Why do you keep shutting that out? God is so important. And this is the thing. Hebrews tells us, what is required for us to know God? Faith. Hebrews 11.1 defines faith this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Another way of saying this, we have confidence or we believe in something that we cannot prove. That's another way of saying it. I can't take scientific method and prove that God exists. That's why faith is required. That's why it's called faith. If I didn't need that, if I could prove God's existence, I wouldn't need faith. It would be fact, right? 
And so that's part of it, is that we actually need faith to see God. We actually have to believe that God exists for God to come into our worldview. Week one, we talked about the different lenses that we can wear in our worldviews. We talked about the atheist lens, the agnostic lens, the pantheist lens, the deist lens, the theist lens. Remember that? Without faith, you can't move beyond agnosticism in, in this, this illustration. You can't move beyond that. You can't go into the lenses of a theist or a deist without faith. Faith is required to have a God within one's worldview. Notice that Hebrews also says it's not about proof, it's about what? Hope. See, I think part of it is moving from needing proof to having hope. (laughs) Now, I think a a very fair statement I could ask an agnostic or an atheist to say is this. Well, could you at least hope there's a God? Because <laughs> that would be a step of faith. <laughs> because you'd actually be moving beyond reason. You'd be hoping. You'd be leaning into the right side of your brain. You'd be actually saying, well, I hope there's a God, even though I can't prove there's a God. But I could hope, right? That would be a step of faith, to hope. That's what, G- that's what Hebrews says. Being sure of what we hope for. Hope for, Right? We don't know, but we hope. We're people of hope. We're people of faith and we're people of hope. Alistair McGrath said this, human logic may be rationally adequate, but it is also existentially deficient. Faith declares that there is more to life than this. It doesn't contradict reason, but transcends it. You can be a person of reason and scientific method, and even mathematics, and still be a person of faith, and it can be appropriate. (laughs) It can be intellectual integrity to be both a person of faith and a person of intellect. Because God gave us both. (laughs) God gave us both. And God rejoices with both. Think about that. Now, I wish this story had a better ending, but it doesn't. I'll just say that up front, because you'll ask me after, what happened? I, was, uh, I had a family in our church many, many years ago, and they were coming to our church, and family, mother was a, a person of faith, and she was encouraging her, her kids to be people of faith, and she was married to an atheist, and um, I had met him a few times, and he really, like, when I showed up or any time I was in the room, he kind of went away, right? <laughs> like, it's the pastoral effect. You heard about the sophomore? It's the pastor effect. You walk in the room, and they, they disappear, right? Hide the beer. The pastor's here is what I heard. So um, that was a joke, by the way. Um, we're free Methodists. We're free Methodists, remember. All right. So I, I, I was sitting here, and this guy would just disappear on me every time. I knew he was atheist. I knew he didn't want to have anything to do with God. He never showed up in our church, never came to anything. And then one day, I got a knock on my office door, and it was the atheist, upset, distraught. He marched into my office, and he was angry. He was upset. He was frustrated. I mean, he just, for the first hour, he just sat there, and he vented to me all his anger, all his frustration. Some of it had to do with God the existence of God. He didn't believe in God. His marriage was falling apart. He had been self-medicating for years. 
all these things started to come out, and it was just like his, I felt like I was just taking confession from an atheist. And I was scratching my head the whole time going, what are you doing in my office? I'm the pastor. You know I'm a pastor. (laughs) Why are you talking to me if you don't believe in God? Why are you in my office if you don't believe in God? Why are you sitting here frustrated, venting to me, upset with me, angry with whoever, the universe? And I'll never, and the reason I never forget this conversation is because the next hour, and I, I, like I said, I wish this had a better ending. I encouraged him. I prayed with him. I said all kinds of things to encourage him, to point him to God, to point him to faith, to allow God into his life. But the last picture I have with, of this man is curled up in the fetal position on my office floor, sobbing in tears. And he walked out of that office. Maybe he felt better after he walked out. I don't know. I never saw him again. I felt bad that I couldn't offer him more. But when I see that man curled up on the fetal position, on the floor, sobbing in tears, totally broken, refusing God, I saw a man, I saw a person without hope. Really what I saw. Not a person without faith, not a person without God. I saw a person without hope, without purpose, without meaning, And it really was a terrible thing to witness. I would add this. I have never seen a person of faith like that. I've never seen someone who believes in God. I've seen people broken, upset, emotional. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Christians don't cry and Christians don't get angry and Christians don't get, they do. But never in the fetal position, totally broken on the floor of the pastor's office. Never. The only time it's ever happened to me is with an atheist. And I think it's because there was no hope. There was no hope. Psalm 62.5 says this. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My what? Hope comes from him. My hope comes from God. (laughs) That's where our hope comes from. It's not going to come from our intellect. It's not going to come from our rational thought. It's not going to come from our scientific method. It's going to come from God. Our acknowledgement of God, our saying that I hope there is a God is a statement of faith for an atheist, an agnostic. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're a closet atheist and you're watching online right now. I want to invite you to do something that maybe you've never done before, and that's pray. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're not sure. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you have doubts. Maybe you're in that place where you're not sure whether God exists. Maybe you don't have faith, but I'm asking you to just have hope this morning. I'm not asking you to have a lot of faith. So let's pray together. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. And if you're in that place where you're, you're doubting God right now, whatever lenses you're wearing in your life, atheist, theist, Christian, non-religious, I want to invite you just to pray a very simple prayer. And just for this moment, have hope. What's it going to hurt? What, it's not going to make any, it's not going to hurt you to pray this prayer. And that is God I hope you exist, (laughs) and I invite you into my life in whatever way it looks like. So just invite God 
Just hope there's a God right now and just ask God to come into your life. Just do that right now.